Welcome back to Missionary Mindset. This week, we continue our conversation with Ryan Kirk. He talks about daily life in China and sharing the gospel. He also begins to unpack their COVID exile and not being allowed to go back home. Let's jump right back in. For me, like I thought of this as kind of like our, a co- an exile, like we're in COVID exile in Taiwan. I'm not trying to put Taiwan down at all. Uh, other people we know that were in different countries around the world had it way worse than us. So I'm not complaining, but it, to me, it felt like exile. And, and the longer we were here, the more it dragged on. I started to think of our life, everything that my wife and I had built together, you know, the story that we've been writing together, that whole life felt like it was on life support, basically. And every time in my mind, I thought of it was every time I interviewed for some organization in the States, it was like, it was like flipping off one of the switches on the life support machine. And like that, like that's the picture that was in my mind. And I'm, I can't remember exactly which, which month it was, but we got a job. I don't remember if this is before we got the job or after, but we, we video called with our core China people. Uh, and and told them, hey, we're 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 going back to North America. I mean, they'd been hold, that all this time. They'd been, they'd been, hey, we heard this rumor from this agent that can get you your documents, and you know they've been trying everything to get us back. And there's one night where we finally had to make the video call and and say it, and they all sort of knew, but it was like it was awful. It was like tears and everything and that night <laughs> that night I had dream I had this dream where it was weird because I, I was in two places at once but I was standing beside a table uh which I guess was like in a morgue and but I was also the dead body like it was my dead body on the table and I was and I'm wrapping it like in um like in those classic Jesus tomb pictures, you know, like the, like the mummy kind of. Yeah. You know? And so I'm wrapping my own body like that for burial. And like, that's what my brain did the night that we had to tell our China people, we're not coming back. And so, yeah, like it's, it's a really weird place to be. We're simultaneously grieving a kind, like a kind of a kind of death you know we we launched ourselves on the, as, as this young couple straight out of grad school on this big grand adventure and it you know and we had our own we had our own hardships on the way that we got through you know like medical disasters and things like that and it was great and then suddenly it's gone and it's gone before you even realize it's gone. Yet at the same time, we're super grateful that we have employment. And, you know, where, where we're going back to, we're, we're going to be close to a lot of our mentors and professors and like the people that were super informative for us when we were in school, you know, they'll, they'll be around. So that'll be great. Um, the job it keeps us in the missions world 
so we're super thankful. It's weird to be super thankful and, and super happy to be seeing certain people. And of course, seeing family. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, in a part of us just died. And, you know, I'm, I would not be surprised if tons of other China people you talk to have similar, if not identical, experiences. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to that have been kicked out of China mm -hmm. still. Oh, yeah, when well, they had to leave traumatically. Yeah, especially you know, that's... the people who were kicked out. I mean, yeah. basically told, you have 24 hours yeah. to leave. And, and as families. As to the airport as you can. Yeah, basically. with kids. Like, it's, yeah. that's, that's nuts. Yeah, so, like, so in that, did you guys, were you guys able to get, I mean, I know you moved to Taipei with suitcases that you had from your trip. Did you, were you able to get as much no. stuff back? Or no, we, I mean, we, we, we showed up with beach clothes. Yeah. Literally, like, <laughs> the only reason I had anything with long sleeves is because the trip to the airport's really cold. Yeah. You know, so that's the only reason. Um, I've been wearing, like, the same, I mean, we bought, a tiny bit yeah. uh, while we're here but you know we we're the whole time we're thinking next month we're out of here next month we're out of here so we you know eventually we'll get back home you know <laughs> but it was always like first it was like oh next week next week and then it was like next month next month and so no we, we didn't if we'd known you can be here two years well we would have done different done it differently yeah but we didn't uh so yeah we uh, what was it so like, are you getting any of your stuff? Oh, like, uh, so, China? well, okay, this is a weird thing. The people that stay behind in China, there's actually a really just published uh, by this organization called Chinasource.org. Okay. Uh, they publish, anyway, you can look them up. They, they, they just published an article about the people left behind yeah. and describing the experience for them. It's awful. It's, yeah. Not for everyone. I mean, some people yeah. push back, say, hey, no, we're doing okay. Like a lot of them will clump together. So now you have these really tight knit communities, tight, tighter communities. But other people, they have a Christmas party. And like their, their thing was, so they, yeah, they had a Christmas party, but it's kind of, it's kind of tongue in, not tongue in cheek, maybe sardonic. Like they're divvying up all the treasures from the apartments they've had to clean out. And so they've got like a box of medical stuff and a, you know, and these things. And it's just sad because the, the absence of the people that aren't there is more uh, conspicuous than the presence of the people that are left. Yeah. Like it's, it's just so brutal. And so, yeah, we have, we have friends that are still there. For the longest time, we didn't ask them to do anything because it's such a huge ask. Yeah, for people that somebody else to basically figure out your life. Your <laughs> whole life. And we didn't have a ton of stuff, but they've already done like four or five other families. Yeah. You get to pack someone's whole apartment and ship it. It's, it's crazy. And, and the whole time you're there, it's, it's this awful experience of these are people I might never see again yeah. that we're going to like the people doing ours. One was someone who was already really close to our family. Like our kids was our kids, auntie, she would babysit so we could, you know, have a date. And she was part of all the, all the, the ministry type stuff we were involved in um my, my my wife was like a kind of like a big sister to her um and then there's a whole other family where 
you know, every time a new policy would come, we'd have to change our life. But so the latest change was, okay, we can't have Chinese small groups anymore, but we're going to, we have these couple of foreign families and they're going to be our, our, our small group and our kids are going to grow up together and we're going to do all this stuff and we already get along so great anyway. And we, we, we knew them. And so like, it's like, these are going to be our besties. And instead they're the ones that my wife's on the phone with every day. They're saying, you want this or not? Like keep it, toss it, you know, like all day long. And we're, yeah, I don't know what number apartment we are for, for them, but there's several in now. And it's not all they're doing is it's like this endless goodbye. That's what actually me and my wife talk about that a lot. Um, Cause it seems like Taipei, especially Taipei, a lot of our missionary friends, I mean, we've been here for now, I guess going on five years, mm-hmm. turning into six eventually. Um, a lot of our friends have left or moved. I mean, yeah. part of that's the, the ministry that we're in with college ministry mm-hmm. being at one of the higher colleges in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. They leave off to go get better sure. jobs in you know, North America and Europe, things like that. But then a lot of our missionary friends have moved. It's a very transitory that's, lifestyle. That's so true. Even, yeah, like never mind oppressive government policy or global pandemics. The missionary community is yeah. really transitory. If you're in, they, you know, now as you say that, like they told us that in our orientation that, and then we meet people when we first came and they'd be like, who are you? How long are you planning to be in China? Yeah. And we'd say, oh, like 20 years. And they're like, oh, okay, we can be friends. And we're like, what? And they're like, because if you're going to leave in two years, like I'm, I can't make the emotional investment anymore. You know? Yeah, and I definitely like, get that. It's like, wow. And, yeah, and that's, that's under normal circumstances, you know? Yeah, you, you constantly, every, every summer, it's like, hey, who's leaving? What, what, what did they leave, you know, what, what did they leave behind? <laughs> and like all the furniture gets yeah. snapped up, you know? And, I think when we first moved here, the, a guy who came to actually to my, my wife's wedding, we, he came all the way from Taiwan to come to our wedding. He had a conference in the area. So he's like, yeah, I can go to you guys' wedding. And then when you guys, you know, maybe one day you'll move to Taiwan. So eight months later, we're moving to Taiwan. Um, I was really excited to like work with him, mm-hmm. like figure out kind of what he did with ministry and stuff like that. And yeah, they were in the States at the time. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get back, you know, it'll be soon. And then eight months after that, they were coming back to pack up their apartment. And that's like the first time oh, I'm actually man. getting to hang out with them is helping them pack up their apartment. Yeah. And you were probably imagining like yeah. the whole, oh, we're going to do all this yeah. and it'll be this way. And that's, that's happened several times. I've helped yes. um, two pastors mm-hmm. move. Helped, yeah. Helped a lot of missionaries move. Um, some of our friends just moved uh, six months ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were really close. They helped start our home church. Yeah. Um, really influential in our lives. And yeah, they left and, moved and so yeah it's very transitory and then and how many times are you gonna well and people tend to make friendships quicker or because you share this unique experience you're you're you with them you're like hey we're foreigners in Taipei like that's not normal for people that stay in America you know it's like a special thing it's intense and we notice that people we tended to bond faster with people but how many times you can do that and then lose them before it starts to change how you approach people, you know, like before you get jaded. <laughs> well, or, or, or you get 
hesitant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to, like, you know, we had this big long-term thing and this super immersive, intentional lifestyle. And I don't want to, I don't want people to assume that I'm saying everyone has to do that. For what we wanted to do, that was the, that's the most appropriate thing to do. But, you know, if you have a, a certain project that's a, got a life, like a, a designated lifespan, like, hey, three years, we're going to set this thing. Well, fine. You're here for three years. Then, then you approach the language and culture, however is appropriate for that. Yeah. Um, I just wish everybody knew <laughs> before they came, like, so, hey, who, what's your name? Where are you from? How long are you going to be here? Like, yeah college what's your lifespan on the mission seriously <laughs> like well in college it was always like yeah. name hometown major you know and it's yeah. like the conversation killer if you made a t-shirt that just said it like you never you know i wish it would be that way here like, how long are you gonna stay here you don't know mm, okay we'll put you on the maybe list you know like <laughs> we'll put you on the back burner until well, one of our other well, friends move. we can hang out but i'm not sharing my secrets with you until you know. yeah yeah i feel like that's so normal we've gotten so used to saying goodbye to close friends at this point that it's just normal now or or we're used to getting that text where like hey we need to talk (laughs) it's not the breakup text that you know college students think of it's the we're moving back to the states we're moving back to canada (laughs) we're moving away and yeah and it's just yeah you, you get not used to it but i guess you get that that callous yeah. of like you don't get too close you get close but not so close yep. that it really hurts yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> for 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 real and then there's a, there's another dynamic to it that that can make it even more awkward uh because we part of when we set up our lifestyle that's going to push us towards the people language and culture part of that meant we're gonna put ourselves in a place where our chinese friends and acquaintances are closer and more at hand than our foreign friends. Like, of course we maintain yeah. like key relationships in the foreign community. Uh, but, but we deliberately made it so that our foreign friends were, were inconvenient by comparison. Like we'd have to get on a subway and go half yeah. an hour or more, you know, to, to find them. Uh, but you know, our Chinese friends are right there. And that was, that was intentional. And so we poured most of our relational energy into in cross-cultural relationships in Chinese, trying as much as we can to do things, play their way, eat their way, which is not the way we would do it. And, you know, we go do an activity and it's like, if I, if I didn't watch myself, I could have a whole lot of negative <laughs> thoughts. Like, why are we, oh, see, we have little children. Why would you choose that? You know, but that, but that was our choice to do it that way. And, and so for them, it's like, if you show up somewhere, like, cause I, I mean, I, I've known people like, I'm going to die in, you know, Singapore or whatever. It's like, are you? Because they've heard that before, you know? And, and so, if, especially if you're with church people, some of them might be hesitant to invest in the foreigner thinking, well, they've gone in five years, you know, whatever. Um, so we tried to pour into our Chinese friends uh, primarily, and then still have key relationships with, with foreigners. But so it's and now we're the ones leaving, not not by choice, but we had to tell them like sorry. And it's, it was interesting because even people that seemed peripheral, you know, we had a community of people. So there's like these core people that are really in, that come to all the all the whatever whatever yeah. whatever training groups we're doing, whatever teas they're in, and then there's like their unbelieving spouses or their kind of nominal spouses, 
Um, and then there's friends. So if we had a big year-end party, there'd be tons of people. You know, we we had like over 30 people in our apartment a couple of times. They they print banners, you know, a yeah. big deal, big potluck is and if we went to the beach at a big beach day, we had 40 some people to bring friends and things. So like there's a community around it. But even some of the like people that we thought were sort of peripheral, they were torn up. You know, and they and you know, wrote some really beautiful stuff. We we're like, wow, I never knew you felt like that. Like had I known, this would well, have been great. I don't know. Maybe if I was more culturally competent, yeah. maybe I would have known. You know, maybe I would have read things differently. You know, because yeah. we only we only have a certain level of competency. So well and the cultural competency I think takes so much time, especially when you come from a Western, well North American point of yeah, view. Yeah. To, to Chinese or Taiwanese point of view, like the the, the Gulf is vast. Yeah, yeah. I, I get stuck because I, I want I don't. It's very hard for me to overstate how overstate the differences because it's like you guys. I don't think any of us realize just how different the what the world looks like between the, and feels like you know the differences. But at the same time. I'd, I'd want to be quick to say, but what we share in common is deeper and more profound, yeah. you know? So, so I want both, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's so different. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's really different. And, and if, if people are running around thinking, Oh, you know, chop doors, it's yeah, they, yeah. they eat with chopsticks. Like guys, they see the, you know, we mutually see the world in vastly different ways. You know? Yeah. I, some of my, well, one of my close friends, he, he loves to hang out with me one because he's like when I get to speak in English I can just say what's on my mind <laughs> he's like I don't have to talk around subjects he's like I can just tell you exactly oh, yeah. what I'm thinking and he's like and you get it <laughs> <laughs> he's like whereas like when I'm with my Taiwanese friends or Taiwanese co-workers yeah. he's like I can't do that as much yeah and he's like it's so much like he's like I don't have to think <laughs> yeah but, but he he feels that he can see that because he's achieved a certain level of yeah coming our direction yeah you know but how many how many of us Get back. don't see that we might know it because you write in a book yeah but knowing it from a book and actually seeing it and feeling it in a social situation is very different uh, i mean that, that's why for me at least talking about becoming socialized uh that kind of language helps for me um because it's like no imagine you're yeah, a kid who's homeschooled, and then you can send them to regular school. It's like, oh, are they going to be able to be socialized? You know, it's like yeah. figure out how to just be a normal person and relate. Yeah, I mean that's what we're trying to do: just be a normal person and relate without. Exactly. Yeah, you know. I feel like that's really true. And now a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. This podcast wouldn't be here without Taiwan Missionary Fellowship. So I just want to let you know about a recent update they had at TMF. I'm happy to announce that they have a brand new website with an online directory. The online directory is a super useful resource to find missionaries and their ministries in Taiwan and other parts of Asia. You can search by location or category. 
If you're interested in having your ministry or organization listed on the website, go to tmf.org.tw. That's tmf.org.tw. We've kind of talked about it a little bit. So what is it, what are, I guess, some things that Christians from the West, from North America specifically, what don't they really understand about what it looks like to be multicultural missionaries? Well, <laughs> that's a big one. I mean, that's that's one of my that's one of my soapboxes. So I, I'm trying to rein it in. Soapbox uh, as much as you want. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, not going to bother me. <laughs> well, it's like I think I already mentioned that moving internationally is not the same thing as moving cross culturally, right? Yeah. So um, so and yeah, <laughs> and by default, if we just do what comes naturally when we go overseas. We, we end up living in China, but not living in China or not living in China to a very significant degree. And that's the default. That's the natural thing to do. So unless we're making intentional active choices, that we're going to end up living in a foreign bubble. And the, the scary thing is, is that we can go overseas, find things to do that on paper, in a report, in a missions conference, sound great, and we'll fly, and we'll, we'll, we'll be accepted within the missions community, and churches back home will, will go look at what, and they'll make a good How story, and it, it's like, you did it, you, you, you've done it, but in reality, it doesn't even scratch the surface, in reality, it's, it's a lot of that can be, honestly, us just spinning our own I don't, I'm trying not to say the word delusion because it's just mean and strong. Um, we, we, we spin stories for ourselves and, and it, interpret it in spiritual ways. Uh, and sometimes I think it's, it's us just making stuff up. Not all the time, but it's, it's, it happens. So, yeah, it's just, it's so, sometimes I feel like we're so far back of the starting line. We, meaning, just North American, Western, evangelical Christians, like in the broadest definition of the term. Yeah. You know, broadest definition. Of the term. I mean, technically, I'm not even technically speaking, I'm like some from a parallel. You, like we weren't raised in evangelical culture, it was a different church thing, but it doesn't matter, it's chapel, it's it's evangelical. Um it's just man, I see I really struggle with. No, I, I don't want to be super critical, but if, 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 if we're going to like actually speak straight about stuff, if, maybe I can put it this way, if we as North American Western missionaries were able to perceive ourselves the way we come across to the people that we go to, whether it's China or Taiwan or anywhere, I think we'd be shocked. Most, most of the places we go, because of the cultural dynamics involved and the power dynamics involved, people are going to be very hospitable, give us face, protect our face. And even if they see things they don't like, you know, because of the, of the priority of values, 
that are at play, they're going to let it go and they're going to just manage it. But if we, if we could see what we're really doing rather than just what we think we're doing, I suspect that, that the embarrassment enough would be enough for us to make drastic changes. Um, you know, that's, and that, that's like of all my reasons for us to take going, to take going cross-cultural seriously, that's like the lowest one. I mean, there, there's even this old story that gets thrown around missions training things a lot. It, I rarely see it ever get applied in policy, but there's, there's an elephant and a mouse and the elephant says, hey, mouse, let's have a party. Let's have a dance party. And the mouse says, okay. And so they put on music and they dance. And then the, and then the music's over and the elephant says, hey, wasn't that so great? Oh, wasn't this the greatest dance you ever had? And you can't find the mouse because the mouse is squished to the bottom of his foot. And, and supposedly that, that's something someone heard from a, from a, I remember it was a, west or east african church leader trying to describe their experience with american missionaries um and we're clueless completely oblivious to that kind of stuff for me we're trying to move cross-culturally that's like the third big cross-cultural step before we before we even go overseas i think there's two big cross-cultural journeys we have to take before we're really ready to go to another culture and try to convey the gospel in it. One is we need to change the way we approach the Bible. So we need to approach the Bible as if it's a cross-cultural experience. Because it is. I mean, it's, it's sophisticated ancient literature written in another language from 2000 or more years ago. Like, it's, it's awesome. It's incredible, but it when you're when we're reading the the Bible, we're we're having a cross cultural experience, whether we realize it or not. And so when we're so familiar with it at a superficial level, because we've we've read it so much, we can forget that really easily. And so so I guess I guess that would be like learning to read the Bible contextually would be the if I'm going to put one word on it, just meaning when we read something Paul wrote or anything. We need to pay attention to all the different contexts. The um, its place in the Bible because the the different books in the Bible, you know, like they they play off each other, you know, yeah. um, and it's historical, cultural context. The all the different different literary contexts, um, like like quit reading Bible verses, like those weren't there originally, you know. If it's a letter, read it like a letter. If it's a if it's if it's Hebrew narrative, treat like Hebrew narrative, and, and and understand where that fits in Israel's history. And I guess I guess the quickest way to if if no one's ever heard of that and he's like, what on earth is he talking about? There's two there's two places you can go entry level um, stuff. One would be Fee and Stewart's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's a little it's not academic, but it's a little tough. If people get into that. If, if you're really hardcore and you, and you really are going to like, no, I'm going to do this Bible thing hardcore. They do that. It's awesome. They, and, or just read the first chapter. They, they talk about what's called our common hermeneutic in which, which they mean just the way churches tend to read the Bible and approach the Bible. And then they spend the whole book trying to hand you a different way to approach the Bible. that actually makes sense with what the Bible is. 
and and take all the different the different kinds of context seriously when we read it. The other way, if that's if that's too that's too hardcore. The other one you could do is uh, Bible like anything from Bible Project is deliberately trying to convey a a a more accurate paradigm for the Bible. And they even have a recent podcast series just called The Paradigm, where they're explicitly introducing this. So, I mean, that's probably the easiest entry level way. So first journey would be get unfamiliar with the Bible, like, like start to notice, hey, this is a foreign thing. And they don't, Paul doesn't teach lessons the way my Bible teacher teaches lessons or any teacher that I've known teaches lessons. Jesus doesn't make a point the way my teachers make points. Yeah. And these, and these guys writing these narratives, these stories, they're saying things, but I just have to learn how to hear it. Uh, it's not it's not like a dictionary where we look stuff up you know it's not written as a moral handbook it's it's this epic uh narrative like and it's amazing literature but we we have to learn to treat it cross-culturally the other one would be and it goes along with it uh is starting to look at our own church our, our home church traditions or, or heritages or denominations or whatever you want to call it, the way we do Christianity. And not just the way we do Sunday morning. I mean, like, yeah, that, that for sure too. But also, how do we define the gospel? How do we formulate that? Uh, how do we do Christian community? And try to start sifting out what part of that is actually from Jesus and what part of that is from our culture. And it's appropriate for us, if, if, if we're Americans, it's appropriate for us to follow Jesus as Americans. Like the gospel is always expressed in a culture. Like we're human beings. Like we don't do anything not in a culture. Like our language, you know, like this limits how we think. So, so that's not bad, but there's different, there's two main ways that the, the gospel interacts with the culture. One's a healthy way where it's like, it's accurately, expressed in a particular context so it challenges the cultural context but it still doesn't feel like it came from another country i mean it feels maybe maybe it feels foreign in the sense that it's it's different it's challenging things but like so if if it happened here in taiwan they would they certain cultural values would be challenged for sure but it wouldn't sound and feel american uh you know but it does uh, and so, it, but then the negative way for it to interact with culture is where the gospel comes to a culture, but then it gets changed because we take it and we, and we do things with it, you know, Macedonia. we, yeah, we, we borrow things from it. We say, this is the gospel. And it's like, well, sort of, but you know, really, because you kind of skewed it a little bit there. Um, so, so then we have to be willing to look at our own traditions that we're familiar with and we love. And we're loyal to and, and be really willing to say, no, what was Jesus actually talking about? What was Paul actually doing? And are we even doing that? Are we even on the same page? Like, or are, like, have we completely lost the plot? Uh, because if we, if we don't approach the Bible as a foreign document, if we don't try to start sifting between what's our, of our church, of our Christianity is our culture, what's from Jesus? Then when we go overseas, even if we 
go to some place, we just kill it with the language. We're like so fluent and we, we we're so emotionally intelligent that, that we just slip right in there. And when people interact with us, they don't change at all how they, how they relate because we just feel Chinese to them. Or whatever. Um, if we haven't done those other steps first, then what we're doing is conveying American culture really, really well. We're, we're just conveying our own traditions and our own ideas. Like I've seen it so many times in China, like where you hear in Chinese, someone articulate the gospel a certain way. And it's like, that is like straight out of a tract from a Billy Graham crusade. And it's not, I'm not down on Billy Graham, but the four spiritual laws, that kind of stuff, that is so American. I mean, that's, that's American fingerprints all over it. Or you hear people in intensely uh, communal cultures, traditionally, like China or Taiwan, and you hear them, you, hear, you watch what they do in church, you hear what they preach, you hear what they say in, in small groups, Bible studies, and it's all individualistic. It's all in individualistic categories, individualistic terms. The gospel is primarily about an individual getting right with God so that when they die, they go to heaven. It's like, well, what do you mean by heaven? And where'd you get that idea? Is that what Jesus was talking about? Or is that Plato? You know, like there's so we're so different. I mean, and different people will, will have different opinions on to what degree evangelical Christianity is skewed by our culture. Some people say, oh, well, it's it's mostly okay. We seem to fix a few things. Other people say, like, way off the line. I'm I tend to take a more dim view of <laughs> what we've got going on. And this I, I'm not referring to anything to do with current politics. Like this, I would have said this 10 years ago. I would have said this when I was still in grad school because we had professors pointing all this stuff out in our mission classes. So yeah, it's not, it's not because, oh look, America's you know, a dumpster fire right now with, you know, all the, all the racial and political stuff. It's not that it's, those things are symptoms. Like the churches are involved in those things in bad ways. Well, how do we get there in the first place? Well, it's because we haven't done this. We haven't, we haven't done the first two cross-cultural works or the first two cross-cultural journeys. So yeah, going overseas, learning language, learning, learning to be socialized. That's like the third step. We got it. What, what are we going to articulate? What are we going to convey? And, you know, when I see church, like, there's just a, a million anecdotes you could, you could use everything from the, well, our, our individualism is huge. Like the kingdom of God's a group project, but we've made it about individuals afterlife. I'm not saying there isn't an afterlife and it doesn't include an afterlife, but what it looks like and what it's for, you know, might be different than what, you hear in a typical altar call so yeah people want to know about going cross-culturally i'm like well let's go back home first and do some work yeah <laughs> and then we'll ready to talk about moving cross-culturally so i guess this might be my final question um maybe <laughs> um so you're going back to the u.s mm -hmm. For a job and everything yeah how has all like this journey i mean because obviously it's not completely mm -hmm. over yet how has this journey affected your walk with christ like how has like 
I mean, suddenly you're not able to go back to yeah. where you would consider home at this point with China. You're stranded on in Taiwan, yeah. trying to figure out ways to get back. How has it affected your relationship and things like that? Well, I think we were really, really blessed with early on when we were in undergrad and grad school. We had um, good theology, text, and spiritual formation professors who had been around long enough that they had seen people trip up in unnecessary ways. And so they, they, were tr they did their best to make sure their students could avoid those potholes. So I didn't, we didn't go to China expecting that bad things wouldn't happen, you know? And, and we also didn't come from a, a church tradition that taught um, like kind of a micromanaging view of God. So like we didn't, we, just, we didn't inherit a view of God that said God is actively making every single thing that happens happen. Um, like we still believe God's in control ultimately, but bad things happen, you know. Um, Jesus prays, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven because, you know, he needs to because his, his will isn't all happening everywhere yet like in heaven um so that that helps because something awful happens and it's like i'm not suddenly disappointed or surprised or angry at god because something bad happened it's like well yeah bad, bad things ha happen and i know that and it's my job to be faithful when that happens and uh so i didn't expect that we that this couldn't happen it, it, it was, it was in the realm of possibility. And another thing that our spiritual formation professors made sure we understood was about where you put your identity as a follower of Jesus. And if you're going to go into church work or missions or whatever, they, they wanted to make sure we knew that you, you can't build your identity, your personal identity, in your, in your sense of self-worth out of Oh, I'm, I'm Ryan who lives in China. You know, uh, I do this thing in China. This is me. Um, those things, those things are unavoidably huge for your, your identity, and who you are, and your your own story, and how you understand yourself. But that doesn't mean they have to be the, the biggest things. For us. I keep saying us because I'm so used to thinking of me and my wife together doing this because it feels like it's our story that we wrote together, you know, lived together, lived out. Um, we'll, but we've always had our, our greater identity in Jesus and his kingdom. And we said this long before we, you know, that, oh, you know, if China kicks us out one day, well, and we end up back in North America, we're not really going to be doing any, anything different we'll have the same basic posture towards life and we'll, we'll still see things the same way. I mean, the, the, the details will change how we do things because we'll be in a different cultural context, but we're still going to be looking for people to manifest life in Jesus' kingdom together with. We're still going to want a community of people where, Hey, let's, let's live in the kingdom together. Let's look, 
Jesus described this life. Jesus empowers this life with his spirit and, and makes it possible. It's like, let's do this. Because if we live this way, it's not just transformation for us. Like, this is dynamite. This, this, is, this is what literally changes the world. And so, so for us, the, I, and, and I'm, you, you can have an idea in theory. Your professors can tell you, you know, like, you know, make sure you're, you're, you have a properly located spiritual identity, blah, blah, blah. And you can know that. And you can think you know that. And you can go somewhere and do something. And then you discover how much of that is actually true when you have the situation. So, like, it's true that I did dream that, like, this is my body and I'm wrapping my own body for burial. And, but I, I don't think, like, I mean, maybe I'll find out. Because you know, we're going to go back and go through all this re-entry uh, care, like missionary care stuff for families that, that return after a long time overseas. And we have access to subsidized licensed counseling, which I plan to take full advantage of. <laughs> um, so maybe, maybe we'll find out that I'm still delusional. No, actually, I do have major issues. I don't know. But, but even, even with that dream, I don't, I, I don't feel that as like my, my whole life and faith and identity is crumbling. It's more like this giant thing I invested in, poured myself into for 15 years is over. But, and over too soon before I wanted to be. So it is like a death, but it's not, you know, we'll, we'll go on. The kingdom of God's gonna go on and, and we're gonna keep trying to live in it with people. The hard, the frustrating thing is trying to find people to do it with. Cause like lots of people wanna play church yeah. and, and keep themselves busy doing church stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, that's not, it's, like, it's, not, it's, not like you're not, it's not like it's bad. It's like you're doing good things, serving people, but it's like, I wanna find people to do the, the Sermon on the Mount together with. Like Jesus ran from village to village announcing the kingdom of God and saying, here's what it looks like. It's like, guys, let's do that. That will, that will literally transform this place, you know? So, you know, that's, that's what gets me excited. So it's, it, it's such a hard question to answer because it's brutal. It's, it's on one hand, it's brutal. It's you, you, on one hand, you, you find out, you know, where your identity really is. And you don't find out all at once. It, like, we know that it will unfold over a long period of time. Like, we've known other families that went back before us. <laughs> it's funny, when, when we finally announced, hey, we're, we're going back, like, put on Facebook or whatever, people come out of the woodwork, start messaging you. Like, families that returned years before, like, hey, I heard you come back. Oh, I just want you to know we're here for you. You know, it's going to be, and you should know it's going to take a long time. Like so many people are telling me, you should know it's going to take a long time. It's like, yeah, we know, we know, we read the books. <laughs> we're, we're braced for it. Yeah. You know. it. It's similar to marriage in a way. Like we, um, we had great premarital counseling. Like we, we took it, we got engaged at Christmas and then went and did a January short course uh, with this therapist guy. Fantastic. And then he recommended our premarital counseling. And it was awesome. So what it did was it set us up like for had they gave us great expectations about what's going to happen and things you will you will encounter. So like when we had our first big conflict, we knew we were going to have a big conflict, you know, early on. Like 
They told us six months to two years, you can have some major thing. And we, and so it came and we're like, oh, this is that thing they told us about. And we knew how to sit down and deal with it and work it out. Doesn't mean it was, it doesn't mean it was pleasant. <laughs> Make it, it more fun. Doesn't mean it was, yeah, it doesn't mean it was fun or that there weren't tears and, you know, lots of emotions, but but we we recognized it for what it was and we knew how to deal with it. So I'm kind of expecting that going back will be like that. You know, we we've been well prepared for it eventually anyway. And uh, we have the people and the resources around us that we'll need. And so it's just a matter of, you know, I don't know which, you know, like standing there for the fire hose to hit you. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week. A big thank you to Ryan Kirk and his willingness to talk about his family's life in China. We'll have a new episode coming out in two weeks. As always, this podcast is brought to you by TMF. For more information, you can visit tmf.org.tw. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review. It may not sound like much, but every little bit helps. If you have any questions or would like to reach out, feel free to contact us at TMF ccg at gmail.com we'll be back in two more weeks with a brand new episode until then bye